It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I hope you had an outstanding long 4th of July weekend at the Wagner household. It was certainly that. Lots of cookouts with friends. Thank you all for inviting me. couple rounds of golf, couple different fireworks shows, some live music. Good to get back to work because I, I just I, I was burning the candle at both ends. So it's nice to have that function. Nice to be here. And uh, WTMJ in particular, big day. We've got the Bucks against the Phoenix Suns. Um, you will hear the coverage here with our very own Ted Davis. And, of course, while all that's going on on our sister ESPN station, you've got uh, the Brewers game that's going on. The Brewers, they've lost two in a row. It's so funny. Somebody was saying to me, well, the, the Brewers have just lost two in a row, and they've only, they have only got shut out on Sunday against Pittsburgh. And then yesterday they only scored two runs. I mean, is this a return to the team that can't hit? To which I say they, they've got, like, the fourth or fifth, fifth best record in, in baseball. They're in first place in their division by six games. They're not going to win them all. So um, just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. But people people do not do that. It is always amazing to me what 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 how some people react to stuff. And I told this story last week. I was at last Monday night, a week ago Monday, I was at the uh, Brewers-Cubs game, and this was the one where the Brewers scored 10 runs in the bottom of the eighth inning to, to end up winning the game like 14-4 to and sent all the Cubs fans home unhappy. I, having been there, it, it's one of, and this comes from perspective of somebody who's been going for baseball games for a long time, it was one of the best baseball games I, I had ever been to. I mean, it was 10, when your team scores 10 runs in an inning against the, you know, the, the rivals, the Chicago Cubs, it was just this this amazing, amazing game. And, you know, Brewers fans, trust me, are, are leaving happy. So on the way home, I'm listening to uh, Matt Pauley on our, on our Brewers Extra Inning show. First caller out of the box. Now, this is one of the great Brewer wins. Maybe, you know, it goes down as one of the top 10 Brewers wins in, in team history. Great Brewers win. Very entertaining. First caller out of the box. Instead of just saying, oh, what a great 10. This is the greatest game ever. Starts complaining about Devin Williams, who's the Brewers reliever that they brought in in the top of the eighth inning. And the guy got in a little bit of trouble and they loaded the bases. Then they worked their way out of it. But the whole call is about, hey, is this guy losing it? And it's kind of like, hey, hey, you want to say to the caller, hey, hey, Buddy, you know, forest and trees. Let, let, let's try to, to, to look at what's going on here. They just won 14 to 4, and your initial reaction is you are going to complain about the fact that, all right, the reliever who didn't let in any runs in the top of the eighth inning wasn't as lights out as he was earlier in this year. And you just kind of go, oh my goodness, this is the reaction. I, I had a similar reaction this morning. Now, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I am a big believer in in what we refer to as the broken windows theory of law enforcement. In other words, small stuff matters. Now, this is a politically incorrect position in today's day and age. I know it. I know it's politically incorrect, but that doesn't mean it's it's not right. Broken windows is essentially if you crack down on the little stuff, the smaller stuff, you stop it from becoming bigger stuff. If you turn 
you are back on on the small stuff, the small fights. Well, those escalate into larger fights and shooting. If you turn your back on the the small acts of theft, well, next thing you know, you've got, if you don't think car theft is a big deal, well, pretty soon it's going to be carjacking and all sorts of other things. If you crack down on stuff early, you deter it from getting worse. Whereas if you just simply ignore it, it doesn't go away and it just emboldens people to do more and more serious stuff. Now, again, I understand that is a politically incorrect view because by cracking down on smaller stuff, you always leave yourself open to saying, oh, look, look at this enforcement. You know, we're, we're going after people for car theft. Well, it's, it's too many young Hispanic kids or it's too many young black kids or it's too many, whatever that might be. Well, the truth is, I don't believe you do anybody a favor. Not the, not the taxpayers, not the victims, and not the defendants if you don't if you don't deal with small crime before it becomes big crime. One of the things, and I've talked about this before, it doesn't get as much attention because it, it's not a murder, it's not a shooting, it's not a carjacking. I understand that. But one of the embodiments of the broken windows form of policing is shoplifting. Stealing from stores is a huge problem. It's a huge problem in our area, and it's a huge problem nationwide. People feel emboldened to go in and rip off stores because they know there's going to be very, very little accountability. And we've talked about this on the show a couple times. You, you Sometimes you just see these stunning videos where the security guards are told not to engage people. If people come in and just brazenly steal all sorts of stuff, walk out, doesn't matter that they're on security cameras because... The, the the DAs tell the cops don't bother just don't don't do anything let let's let this let's let this go and of course I'm a big proponent of the fact that letting it go doesn't help because if you let people go into stores and just steal whatever they want pretty soon those stores are going to close, number one, and that's not going to help the communities. But number two, what's going to happen is the people who've been allowed to go in and just rip off stores, they're going to be doing that. They're going to be escalating the behavior and ripping off other stuff. It's why small things matter. So this morning, I sent out I, I sent out a tweet, and if you follow me, um, uh, it's, Jeff, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a tweet. There, there's this stunning video. Now, San Francisco is kind of a microcosm of all the problems. The, the, the San Francisco approach, kind of the liberal, laid-back, let's let anybody do what they want and let's not rock the boat. It's led to a city which is darn near unlivable in many regards, which is why you have so many people that are moving out. Well, there's this um, video about how Neiman Marcus, which is a high-end department store in San Francisco, um, it was pretty much – was pretty much completely vandalized by by thieves. Um, it occurred about closing time the other night at, at the Neiman Marcus location. What you had is you had just a ton of people bum rush the place, and then they smart, start smashing cases, lifting stuff from racks, and, and then just hauling them out. It, it's it, You look at this video, and it's like Lord of the Flies. I mean, it, it just is. It's Lord of the Flies. So I, I sent out a, a tweet, and the tweet said this is what happens when authorities stand down on so-called minor crimes and if you think it can't or won't happen here you're kidding yourself 
All right. Now, maybe you could agree with me or disagree with me about the need to kind of crack down on the small stuff. And maybe you're one of these people who think that, oh, let's let people steal things. There's more important stuff to worry about. Okay, well, fine. I You're entitled to your opinion, but in my opinion, you're wrong. But anyhow, that's what the discussion is. Out of control shoplifting and people that are emboldened by it. The first response I get to this is this is why you have to prosecute former presidents for tax crimes or else the whole country follows his example. In other words, it's Trump's fault. Now, I I just I, I take a step back and I think you know th- this is in many respects it's like the guy that calls Brewers extra innings after the ten inning ten run eighth inning and says well I didn't like the way the guy was pitching in the top of the inning here you have a, a department store being ransacked by by shoplifters and the first reaction is well this is Trump's fault and then a handful of other people are saying you're right this is this is Trump's fault you know this this is all this it, it's this Trump derangement syndrome that that's never ever going to way, go away say what you want about Donald Trump say he was the greatest president in the world, say he was the worst president in the world. Okay, Donald Trump is not why people are looting shopping centers and Walgreens stores in San Francisco. But yet that's the knee-jerk reaction that some people have. This inability to get over, <laughs> get, get over stuff. It's all Trump's fault. Right? Anything bad that happens in this world, it's Trump's fault. Trust me on this one. The people looting that store in San Francisco had nothing to do with Donald Trump. It wasn't, oh, gee, um, they haven't charged him yet with any crimes. Let's go loot the store. Nah, don't exactly think so. But that's how some people view stuff, which is why you just kind of shake your head sometime and go, what's in people's minds? When we come back, I want to talk about the Olympics and a controversy that's brewing. The Olympics, by the way, start uh, two weeks from Friday. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. They have been warned. Is it unfair? Now, the Olympics start two weeks from this coming Friday in in Tokyo. And there's already a lot of controversy involving Olympic athletes who are choosing to use the Olympics as the backdrop for their individual protests. You might remember that the U.S. hammer thrower Gwen Berry, we haven't talked about this on the program, but a couple of weeks ago, she placed third in the, the competition, so she's qualified for the U.S. Olympic team. She's been well known as, as an activist for a while, and so what happens is she's up on the podium while the get, get, getting her medals and you know in the background they start playing the star spangled banner they play the national anthem the it was really kind of a coincidence because there's all these different events that are going on at the US track and field championships and the olympic qualifiers and so they had decided that okay like at 524 on every, any given day that's when they're going to play the national anthem it just so happens that that's when she's up on the podium getting her bronze medal. Well, they start playing the Star-Spangled Banner, and she turns her back on the flag, and then it, towards the end of it, she pulls out a T-shirt and drapes herself in it, and it this says, Activist Athlete. And this set off a, a huge firestorm of stuff. We, I didn't talk about it because while I thought her actions were classless, 
I, I, I didn't. Some people were saying, oh, she should be kicked off the team. No, I, I, I didn't agree with that because if you do that, that that's, see, that's the cancel culture in, in reverse. As somebody who, who regularly rails about, you know, people who are demanding folks be taken off the air or folks, um, you know, who are demanding, oh, gee, this is what this person said. Now we can't patronize that business or whatever. Th- th- this is that cancel culture. Again, I, I thought using this opportunity – to do what she did was a no-class move. I stand by that, but I don't think she should be booted off off the team. And I just think, you know, it's unfortunate that she chose to make herself a story, make herself a bigger deal than the team. The other two people who were recipients, they they just they stood at like an attention and things like that. But but okay, so that that's the Gwen Berry story. Well, the International Olympics Committee is now weighing in on this. They announced rules on Friday, and, and here's what here's what they said. These are rules on freedom of expression. This, they said, look, um, that that if you want to, you know, wear wear a shirt with a slogan or raise a glove or kneel that that's fine if it happens before the start of a competition including when you're being introduced but they said here here's the deal all demonstrations like that would be forbidden on the medals podium so if you happen to be one of the first three finishers and you're on the podium, you engage in a demonstration like that, that's going to be prohibited. If you do something on the field of play during competition, that's going to be prohibited. And if you do stuff during the opening and closing ceremonies, that is is prohibited. Now, the U.S. Olympic Committee because they, they want to be inclusive and understanding. They, they, don't, they don't have those rules. But the International Olympic Committee, they're saying this is what's going to happen. Now, they haven't announced, you know, what the penalty is going to be yet, but they do have the power to strip medals and banish athletes from the game. But right now they're just saying, hey, they're going to look at stuff um, on a case-by-case basis. So the International Olympic Committee is saying, okay, if you want to protest, fine, you can protest before the event, but during the competition and then on the medal ceremony stand itself, you, you can't protest. And then after, of course, you can you can do whatever you want. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to say, hey, look, before the competition, after the competition, wear whatever shirt you want. Express whatever opinions you think about, you know, your your country. Although my, my guess is my guess is that there's not going to be athletes from a lot of these countries who are going to be critical of their countries because there'll be repercussions. But if U.S. athletes, you, you want to criticize your country, you can do it before the games, up to and including when you're introduced. You can do it after the games. But if you do it during your actual competition or if you happen to win a medal, if you do it while you're on the medal stand, be prepared for consequences. Is that unreasonable? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And the reason for doing this, I think, is the International Olympic Committee doesn't want the games being hijacked by people trying to use their status as participants to advance a particular political cause and I say to the IOC, more power to you. I think this is a, a decent balance to strike. Protest beforehand, protest afterwards, but during the competition itself and on the medal stand, 
Don't do it, or else there could be consequences. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, is absolutely, they've nailed this 100%. This is how they are said that they're going to deal with protests, regardless of what, like, the U.S. Olympic Committee does. They say, look, you know, you, you can you can have whatever political statements you want before your competition. You can have whatever political statements you want after your competition. But during the competition itself, and if you happen to win a medal when you're on that medal stand, sorry, you know, we're not going to tolerate protests. And if you do, you know, we're, we're going to decide what we do up to and including, you know, stripping you of a medal. I don't have a problem with that at all. It's their way of balancing out the right to protest with people who are trying to hijack the Olympic Games to advance their own particular political cause. Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Hi, Tony. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, on 60 Minutes, they showed us and they said that the IOC and the host Japan will not tolerate any of this. They will ban the athletes and they will send them home. And my opinion is I hope they do if if anybody tries this, because I'm personally sick and tired of this political nonsense. Well, well, right. I mean, again, the Olympic thanks. I mean, the Olympics are about representing your country and representing your, your team. And again, if you want to use, I guess the way I see it, if you want to use the fame and the attention that, that you get from being on the team, that, that that's fine. But do it outside the parameters of the competition itself. And and if you don't like that, you don't play the for the rules. All right. You know, just be prepared for the consequences. Now, you know what's going to happen. You're going to have some athlete it's probably going to be a u.s athlete who's going to decide to test these boundaries and who's going to do something like this and then the ioc is going to come in and probably strip them of their medal and then there's going to be this this huge uproar and and then you know maybe they're just trying to get attention from doing that but at the same time i think you need to have rules and i think you need to enforce that um jeff i understand what the ioc is trying to accomplish and i don't disagree with them however given the direction or lack thereof today's athletes have and their growing dissension and voices i'm not sure the ioc will succeed well they're going to have to follow this up i mean they're going to have to come in and, and strip medals jeff i think the ioc is correct and it's unfortunate that u.s athletes are allowed to use the olympics to protest tax dollars go to these athletes um i think maybe the Olympics time has come and has gone. Jeff, what I find perplexing is the athletes are going to go and represent the United States, but then protest. And if they win, then they're going to want to reap the benefits from sponsors as American athletes. I wholeheartedly agree with the IOC. Jeff, to me, if you were given the honor to actually make it to the Olympics and then get there and disrespect the country you are there to represent, I think you should pay the consequences and be stripped of medals. Right, Jeff, their rule is absolutely appropriate. Um, right, Jeff, the IOC is absolutely correct. These athletes um, play for our country. Um, well, yeah, I think that's kind of it. It's, and it's not often on the show that you hear me utter the words, the IOC is absolutely correct, but in this case... They are. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Finally, 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 some mass transit that that makes sense. Now, I, frequently, I, I get credit whenever I talk about Tom's Trolley Folly, the the hundred and twenty million dollar streetcar that 
almost nobody rides. And I mean almost nobody rides that was sold to the public on bogus estimates. Oh, we're going to have 1,800 riders a day. You know, uh, but of course that was predicated on people and they'll pay a dollar. Well, okay. Now you're down to like what four or five or 600 riders a day and that's free. I mean, it was just, it was just built on a foundation of falsehoods to sell it in the first place. And now we're in a situation where the thing is just hemorrhaging money. Nobody is using it, but the, the, you, you almost have to continue doing it because you're spending $3 million a year just to maintain it. This is money that could go to cops or could go to the roads or could go to, you know, anti-poverty programs or whatever, but it's going just to prop up the trolley. And the response is, well, the reason people aren't riding it is it doesn't go anywhere. So what we need to do is we need to take Make hundreds of millions of dollars more and, and expand the system so fewer people overall will ride it and will cost more money. So, I mean, I, I talk about that or the high speed bus line, quote unquote, in that where, you know, you, you save eight minutes going downtown to the medical college. But at the so it goes instead of 37 minutes, it's 29 minutes and. It's going to cost tens of millions of dollars to do it. It's going to take away lanes of traffic, making it more difficult to to drive. And again, it's based on all these bogus numbers about how much ridership is going to increase, which are just absolutely ridiculous. And and we'll see that a couple years from now, just how crazy that ends up being as well. But because it's like mass transit, oh, if there's, at least in the minds of some people, there's no mass transit plan that can be too expensive and there's no mass transit transit plan that can be too foolish? And the the answer is, yes, there are some that are too expensive, like the Tom's Trolley Folly, and there are some that are foolish, like the Rapid Bus Line and Tom's Trolley Folly. So people will say, well, there's there's nothing that you support. I say, no, no, no. I I just, you you have to look at stuff that makes sense, which brings me to something that, that does make sense. One of the problems that they have In connecting people that do not have cars to jobs in the suburbs is the fact that they don't have last mile ridership. What what that means is you you can take the bus, for example, and you can go from, I don't know, somewhere in Milwaukee and you can get out to somewhere in Waukesha. But if it drops you off a quarter mile or a half mile away from, you know, where it is that you work. Or the same thing's true, you know, if you've got a job in somewhere in Ozaki County. You know, you work you work in Grafton. Well, you can take a bus that can get you close. But what happens if your employer is like two miles away? How do you get from where the bus drops you off to your employer? It's that last mile transit. I have for the longest time been saying, look, this is something where instead of fooling around with, with streetcars that at their best, you know, help some yuppie bar hoppers from the east side, you know, go a mile and a half so they can go to some bar close to Water Street, except now it's almost too dangerous to do that, or the, these mythical bus riders who, you know, have to drive to a, a bus line and then, you know, save six, seven, eight minutes going from, you know, one part of the city out to the medical college. Try to find things that really make a difference to people and that will really work. And and to me, that that's that's what this last mile thing. Well, anyhow. The Regional Transit Leadership Council, it, it recognizes, look, that this is what the problem is. Brookfield, New Berlin, Franklin, Oak Creek. Now, I would also add Ozaki County as well. What they're finding is about half the jobs in southeastern Wisconsin are outside of the reach of public transportation 
systems. So what they're trying to figure out is ways that you can connect people that live in Milwaukee but yet want to take jobs in the suburbs. How can you get them that that last mile? And that's what they're looking at doing. I mean, right now, really, the only option is you get there and you either work or you call an Uber or something like this. So what they're talking about is creating like a micro transit system, which would be shuttles that travel throughout the suburban counties. And like, again, if you know, if there is a I don't know, there's a business in Port Washington, for example, that employs a lot of people from the city of Milwaukee. So, okay, you've got the bus service that brings you out to Port Washington. Well, you you run some of these shuttles back and forth to help people get that last mile or two. Those are the types of transit programs that make eminent sense to me and are the ones that deserve the funding because that's what you really need, hooking up real people to real jobs as opposed to, like I say, some people that live on the east side and want to go bar hopping, so let's take this for as a novelty. Do stuff like that. Come up with the practical things that people need to better their everyday life. And this last mile travel is something exactly like that. Plus, you can do it for a fraction of the cost than, say, a a streetcar. Because what you do is you say, all right, let's get some of these rubber tire shuttles. You know, let's let's buy some shuttles, and let's see where the, the needs are. Okay, if we've got... Lots of people that are coming out to a particular business park in, in Waukesha and they're recruiting from the city. Fine. You know, we'll have a couple of these shuttles and we'll have them there between, I don't know, six and eight o'clock in the morning. So when the buses drop people off, we, we can run people over and maybe we can even do it for free. I mean, look at some of those sorts of things or we can do it for a real nominal cost. Let's, let's do the practical stuff. Unfortunately, we get so we get so tied in with the bright, shiny stuff. We we say, "Oh, look! There's a squirrel." We we look at the the bells and whistles. Oh, let's let's build this trolley system that nobody rides and doesn't go anywhere. And we neglect the things that would really make a difference. So the regional transit authority is starting to look at this last mile service. That's something that's worth investing money in. And if you're going to take. $10 million or $20 million or $40 million or $100 million and invested in mass transit, isn't that a much better investment that really makes a difference for people than, hey, let's run the trolley another mile and a half? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Well, the New York Times, the sort of anti-President Trump paper of record, created some controversy with a story, well, eh, that they ran over the the 4th of July weekend, of all places. The headline is, A 4th of July Symbol of Unity That May No Longer Unite. Um, In a Long Island town, neighbors now make assumptions true and sometimes false about people who conspicuously display American flags. Uh, And it goes on to talk about how there's there's a guy who's, you know, runs this business and he's got a big American flag outside his business. And people are saying, well, we're not sure that we were going to go there because, you know, we thought you were a flag waving something or other. I'm not sure that we want to interact with you. And the guy that's quoted says, well, it's just a little sad of me. You know, it shows the dichotomy of the country that a flag can mean that. I had to think. 
do I do I need to reconsider having the flag out there? Because if I'm a merchant and I'm flying the American flag in front of my business, some people might not choose to patronize me. So the, the story continues. What was once a unifying symbol, there is a star on it for every state, after all, is now alienating to some. It stripes now fault lines between people who kneel while the star-spangled banner plays and for those for whom not pledging allegiance is a front. And it has made the celebration of the 4th of July of patriotic bunting and cakes with blueberries and strawberries arranged into old glory. I had one of those the other night. Into another cleft in this country that no longer seems quite so indivisible, under a flag threatening to fray. And then the story goes on to talk about how, you know, if if you fly an American flag, I mean, some people are going to think, oh, you're, you're nothing but a, a Trump supporter, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go and patronize your business. Or if I come in front of your house and you've got, like, what we have, in front of our house. My wife puts out these little American flags over the 4th of July and Memorial Day, and they've got the American flag out front of their house. Well, you know, they just must be these, you know, awful people, these, you know, white supremacist flag wavers. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me just ask this directly. Is the American flag divisive? I mean, when, when you... Go past a particular business and you see that they have a, a flag out in front or a flag in their building or that they're running ads and they've got, hey, it's, you know, we're, we're running ads for our store over the 4th of July and we've got an American flag. Is your reaction, oh, gee, I'm not sure I want to patronize that. I guess what really struck me is when, when I see these displays, it's, it's never occurred to me to think that, gee, the people that are flying that flag are anything other than patriotic Americans who are making a statement that they are proud to be an American. And I don't, and I just, it's never crossed my mind. Gee, that must be, you know, if, if that flag is in front of that house, they must be Republicans that live there. Or if that flag is in front of that house, there might be Democrats. It's never occurred to me. It's the American flag. Is the American flag really divisive? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, my, my answer is, is no, not in a normal world. Now, I understand that there's, you know, people that are out there that want to kind of see things and create their own alternative reality. But in the reality most of us live in, I mean, when you see somebody flying an American flag, isn't that something that says they're proud to be an American and a display of patriotism? you going to look askance at that? Are you not going to patronize their business because they've got a flag in front of it? 855-616-1620. I hope not. We discuss. And this is Jeff Wagner, Heavy Side. Jeff, the U.S. flag is divisive. Don't you remember it was at Trump rallies? Jeff, the flag is divisive. When Trump supporters use it to beat police on January 6th in an effort to overthrow our election and democracy itself. So, and my point is, I said, sigh. You just kind of, huh, heavy sigh. You really have to get over Trump derangement syndrome. He's gone and the flag is still here. But again, you have some people that are so wrapped up. Again, it's that Trump derangement syndrome. So this is why the flag is controversial. No, it, it's the American flag for, for goodness sake. And yes, is it entirely possible that things people have done improper things using the flag? A- absolutely. But that's why it becomes divisive only if you've got a real problem. 855-616-1620. James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I think it should be uh, flown uh, for 
Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and all the other days and everything else. I think it's part. It's, it shows that uh, our freedom in our country and everything else. But uh, what about some of these other flags that, uh, like uh, Gay Pride and all these other ones that we put over the Capitol and stuff like that, that think that uh, that they're trying to, that uh, politicians are trying to push down our throats? I think that's re- ridiculous and stupid. Uh, okay, well, well, James, I, I don't I don't want to get too far afield because that's a whole other discussion about whether it's the the thin blue line flag outside uh, outside the police department in Oconomowoc, was it, or you know the gay pride flag? That that's a whole other story. I'm talking about the war, the American flag, and this notion that that somehow you know we should be reluctant to fly it because it demonstrates divisiveness. The people who view it as being divisive, I think it says more about them than it does about the American flag itself. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, um, I'm glad I'm 70. I probably won't be too around given the impending demise of our great country. The flag is a symbol of the United States, not of the dis- um not of the divisiveness. Jeff, the flag conflict bothers me. I would consider myself an independent, but I lean more to the left on most issues. I strongly flag, I strongly dislike the fact that the American flag offends many of my federal, uh, my fellow liberals. I view it as a sign of unity, freedom, and patriotism, loyalty to the country in which we reside. reside. Yeah, Jeff, I, I can't stand Trump, but I love my country. Really? I, I think this country is a mess. Okay, so that's the justification for, you know, not having the flag. Jeff, this may relate to the same problem of letting the OK hand sign be hijacked as to be a racist symbol. Some people are allowing the flag to be hijacked to be a Trump Republican symbol. Well, again, I just, when when I drive past somebody's house and I see the American flag flying, my reaction isn't, oh, oh, that's got to be a Republican or, oh, that's got to be a Democrat. It's like, oh, there's somebody who is proudly displaying the flag. And the idea that you wouldn't patronize somebody's business because they've got a flag out front, like I say, I think that says more about that person, the person who wouldn't patronize the business, than it does about the person who's flying the flag. Jeff, I live in a small subdivision in Wapaka. I attached a flag to my um, fire address sign pole just before flag days. A few late days later, the entire subdivision had followed suit. Everyone thanked me for the idea. They are all still flying through the 4th of July. I guess it's just who you associate with. Well, I... I yeah, that's it. Jeff, the, my head is exploding. The flag represents our country and the men and women who have given us freedom. I supported Trump like I supported Obama and now support Biden. He's the commander in chief and the protector of this democracy, Republican or Democrat. This crap to divide us must stop. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's it. Jeff, you don't understand. When Donald Trump proudly waves American flags at his rallies um, while saying all his divisive things, he's the one that has created the problem. So in other words, we've got this Trump derangement syndrome that we just can't let go of. And because Trump has flags, that means other people that have flags, well, we, we can't tolerate it. It's just... It is very, it is this frustrating thing to which I say, for those of you who are still with the Trump derangement syndrome, you need to get over it. Your, your life, 
Your life will be better if you're able to get over it and recognize that Donald Trump is gone. And I understand that maybe he's flirting with some sort of comeback, but I don't think that's going to happen. But if it does, then, then you can deal with it. But to use that as a justification for saying, well, I'm I'm going to look down on people who fly the flags or whatever. Trust me, your, your life will be much better. It will be fuller. It will be richer if you just flat out get over it. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, we don't get to go on our date. We were going to go to George Webb's. First thing I see you this morning, I said, darn it, we will not be getting our free hamburgers. <laughs> That's right. For people who were listening last week, we were all excited about this. We were talking Thursday or Friday about how we were we were going to go down and we wanted to stand in line yeah. and we wanted to bring a producer and film it all and maybe bring some, some of our fans along with us and all that. I was thinking we could still do that. But we'd have to buy. But we'd have to buy the burgers. <laughs> we'd have to buy the burgers. You could buy me a burger. Well, I could buy you. That's, that, that's true. But, you know, I tell you, for it, it, w- it was such a great run. Now, I... It, okay, so the Brewers win like 11 in a row. They're six games ahead of Cincinnati. They've got like the fourth or fifth best record in baseball. Now they've lost two games in a row, and they've kind of lost them in sort of ugly fashions, admittedly. Now all these people, they're already jumping off the, the bandwagon. It's like, really? Oh, uh, come on. You know, what are the chances they get right up to 11 games in a row, and we're just about ready to get those free burgers we can taste them? Right. And then they, they pull know. the rug out yeah, from under us. Yeah. But that's okay. I, 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 I mean, if the choice is... They win 11 in a row and they lose two in a row and we don't get the burgers um, or they just, you know, we, we don't get our hopes up because they lose 11 in a row. I'll, I'll take the wins. That's yes. pretty good. Yes. All right. So we'll we'll have to figure out what our, our next like lineup for free stuff is. OK, let us switch gears. Disneyland in Anaheim, California, was built in 1955. It, op- it opened in 1955. Um, Disney World in Orlando, Florida, was built in ni- opened in 1971. Now, there have been some changes over the years, but one of, one of the standard things since Disneyland opened and since Disney World opened is that every evening they have fireworks shows. That, that's that's the, the big deal in, in the park. They've got fireworks shows. Those those shows, the fireworks displays, took a hiatus during the, the pandemic, right? I mean, the Disneyland and Disney World were closed for a good period of time, but they, they, they shut down the fireworks displays um, because they were trying to avoid, like, large crowds. The fireworks displays are coming back. And what happened is, um, over the last couple of days, that they rolled out like a trial version of the fireworks for, like, invited guests at Disneyland and in Disney World, etc., now, one of the things that has always preceded the fireworks pretty much since they started was an announcement. And the announcement was pre-recorded. As a matter of fact, there was there was an announcer who passed away a number of years ago. His name was Jack Wagner, and he was a radio announcer at um, – he was a radio announcer in, in L.A., and, and he was like the voice of Disney World. So he recorded, you know, a lot of the stuff. If you're down there and, like, the monorail comes to a stop or things like that, you hear this voice. It very well might be that this, this Jack Wagner. And again, he's he passed away a number of years ago. But one of his most famous things, his was the voice that introduced the fireworks every night at Disneyland and Disney World. And here's how the announcement would begin to let people know it was going to start. It would begin, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dreamers of all ages. 
right now let me I'm going to go through that again hopefully you know I, I don't I don't want you to be too shocked or too offended by this but th- this is what it was good evening ladies and gentlemen boys and girls dreamers of all ages then it went on you know this is welcome to the, the fireworks display all right when when they rolled out the new fireworks and this is going to be the situation moving forward instead of having the announcement good evening ladies and gentlemen boys and girls dreamers of all ages the new announcement begins good evening dreamers of all ages in other words disney has now censored the phrase ladies and gentlemen boys and girls so instead of good evening ladies and gentlemen boys and girls dreamers of all ages it's now good evening dreamers of all ages and of course there's a lot of people who are regular attendees of Disneyland or Disney World and they've started noticing this now Disney says well this is kind of a, a part part of a broader effort we, we're trying to be more inclusive Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dreamers of all ages. So somehow by using the phrase, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is somehow viewed in today's day and age as being non-inclusive. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand on the one hand, hey, it's Disney World, it's Disneyland. They, they can do what they want, and, and that's true. I mean, they can... They, they can say whatever they want before the, their announcements. That's their decision. But I think it, it's interesting because here you have Disneyland and Disney World, which is clearly, I mean, cultural icons, you know, certainly in this country and throughout the world, who now feel the phrase is, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are somehow offensive to some people. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, to which I say, really? I mean, I, I understand the desire to, to be inclusive. I get it. In many sort of cases, I, I, I applaud it. But realistically, who thinks of this kind of stuff? I mean, realistically, is there somebody somewhere who hears the phrase, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dreamers of all ages, and says, I'm offended because ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? I mean, at some point in time, when, when it comes to, again, the, the, the cancel culture and this desire to be inclusive, does common sense have any sort of role in this at all? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are those phrases now offensive or an indication of non-inclusivity, so they have to be have to be done away with. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. My answer would be, again, who thinks of this this type of stuff, and who realistically would have been offended by this? All right, we discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. Jeff, none of this should be offensive to anyone. Unfortunately, due to a change in politics in this country, and I believe COVID, we have way too many people that have way too much time on their hands to come up with all these ridiculous reasons that our country and all of that is so bad. Um, well, I, I do think there, there's this element of that. I mean, somebody in Walt Disney, in the Walt Disney Corporation, and Walt Disney would be turning over his grave if somebody said, Walt, we, we can't say good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, because there will be somebody somewhere who might be offended by this because, well, they don't self-identify as a lady, a gentleman, a boy, or a girl. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's see. Um Jeff, we have three kids who are older and have many memories of going to Disneyland. Regarding the changing park theme announcement, this is what you get when you kowtow to ultra-PC nonsense. If Disney and other corporate icons would have put their foot down early on, it would not be happening. It will only get worse until ticketed sales go down or enough people complain. Jeff, I am not a dreamer, therefore I am offended. Laugh out loud. Jeff, shouldn't everyone fall under either lady, gentleman, boy or girl? If you are a person, you can identify however way you want. But but those are those are the choices. Well, I don't even want to get into that. But how could this be, again, offensive um, to people? 855-616-1620. Jeff, maybe we should start referring to everyone as earthlings or humans. But somehow someone will hear that as non-inclusive as well. Yeah. I mean, how about that? Instead of um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dreamers of all ages. How about good evening, humans, earthlings, and dreamers of all ages? Maybe maybe that's what we should do if we're going to try to satisfy this. Um, Jeff, um, I am offended. I am not a dreamer. I am a doer. Jeff, gender-neutral people may be offended, to which my response would be, Okay, if that's what's going to offend you, you really need to get over it. I mean, seriously. Jeff, this shouldn't surprise every anyone. You know, everything Disney does has this type of thinking behind it lately. Um, yeah, that that's it. Um, Jeff, um, though I don't think removing the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls was necessary, the new greeting is better than something like, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, LGBTQ attendees, um, whoever may identify in any other fashion, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, right, right. I, I understand if you try to go through this different list, you, you can just get completely caught up in that. But really, are we at a point in 2021 where realistically people should be bothered by good evening ladies and gentlemen boys and girls of dreamers of all ages well apparently the answer is is yes jeff um lots of merchandise to sell they can't jeopardize the dollar well really do you think most people that hear this story go i'm 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 with disney time to get rid of the ladies and gentlemen boys and girls thing i mean you know seriously i I don't know. I think that at some point somebody just sent me this note, go to get too woke, go broke. I mean, I don't know about that. But at the same time, obviously, there are people in a room that are thinking about this and spending all this time saying, "Okay, we need to figure out something that nobody anywhere, anyhow, can possibly be offended by. But here's the problem. The farther and farther you go down this rabbit hole, the more difficult it is to meet that sort of goal because there's going to be, trust me, I've done this radio show here for 23 years. I've been doing a radio show in this market for 26 years. Trust me, there is going to be somebody who is offended by something somewhere. 
Somebody will find something to be offended about, and, and you're never going to make everybody happy. And if you try to make everybody happy, what's going to happen is you're going to end up satisfying, satisfying nobody in the search for whether it's wokeness or political correctness or whatever, because those sands keep shifting. As far as I'm concerned, if anybody was asking my input, I don't think there's anything wrong with good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dreamers of all ages. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. I I asked this question somewhat rhetorically, but uh, remember all the outrage that happened, was it last week or a week before last, that the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court tossed out the conviction of of Bill Cosby because they found that the the prosecutors had violated his Fifth Amendment rights by introducing testimony that, at least according to the court, had been, you know, given after he'd been promised immunity for it. Okay, remember all the outrage about that? One of the things I said at the time is that when, when you're prosecuting a case, in the back of your mind, you always want to win the case. You, you always want to put in enough evidence to get the conviction. But there's a lot of times where doing something is just so incredibly risky that even if it works at the trial level, you, you pretty much guarantee that there's going to be an appeal. And, and you might, even if you're able to convince a trial judge to do it, you know that there's perhaps a very good chance that the, ultimately some higher court is going to reverse it. Now, I have said before, the prosecutors in Kenosha, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, to me, I do not understand what they're doing. It, it, it's almost like a form of, of legal malpractice. Remember, they... The, the, the Rittenhouse case, and I don't care where you are, whether you think you should be acquitted or you think you should be convicted. The, the, the shooting was last August. The prosecution agreed to have the trial put off until this November. That's like 14, 15 months after the incident occurred. There, there is no good reason to do that. This is not a complicated case where you're looking at, you know, uh, you're, you're looking at 15 years of tax records and you need all. This is a, we, whatever you think, the, the motivation of Kyle Rittenhouse was and whether he should be convicted or not, it, it is a straightforward sort of case. And to, to give the defense over a year to prepare it, it's just it's it's mind boggling to me because I will tell you this prosecution's cases almost never get better with time. Witnesses disappear, witnesses' memory gets worse over time. And plus, in this case, the defendant, somebody that you believe is guilty of multiple murders, is is out on bail during all this. I mean, in a case like this, most prosecutors would be pushing for the trial to occur as soon as possible. And yet here, the the Rittenhouse prosecutors agreed to stretch it out for over a year. But that's that's if that was bad. I see the story in the Journal Sentinel the other days. Prosecutors want the court to consider what they call other acts evidence. They want to introduce evidence that, um, you know, he associated with the Proud Boys. They want to introduce evidence that he allegedly punched some 18-year-old girl on July 1st of 2020. They want to introduce all this other stuff, essentially for the purpose of showing that Rittenhouse is a bad person. Well, okay, here's the problem. Whenever you're dealing with what they call other acts evidence that didn't result in a conviction— Judges almost never let the stuff in 
because it's very, very dangerous, because it's highly prejudicial. Well, we're not sure that they were able to prove that he was guilty or not, but ah, the fact that he's associated with the Proud Boys, boom, that's going to put us over the edge. All I'm telling you is I see this story that the prosecutors, who I think have been questionable in their decisions from the beginning, to introduce if the judge lets the best thing that the judge could do for the prosecutors in Kenosha would be to deny these motions. And I'm saying this on front because if this case goes to trial in November and if the judge allows them to introduce evidence that, hey, he, he punched somebody or, you know, he was associating with the Proud Boys, that will guarantee an appellate issue. And in my opinion, depending on how the trial shapes out, it pretty much is going to guarantee that that conviction is going to get reversed. And, you know, again, a lot of times prosecutors are their own worst enemies. What they're trying to do by doing this, in my opinion, is to show that Rittenhouse is a bad person. And what we want to do is we, we want to put everything into the case that we can to show that he's a bad person and a punk or, or whatever. And, and that's all well and good. But under the law, when you start doing that, the trial isn't about Trials aren't about whether somebody's a good person or a bad person. They're about whether somebody did the crime they are charged with. And I'm here to tell you, mark the tape. If they are allowed to introduce this evidence and if they are allowed to get a if they ultimately get a conviction, my guess is it's probably 50-50, maybe more, that that conviction gets reversed on appeal simply because of this decision. It is a it is a in some respects, it's almost like you think the prosecution is desperate if they're trying to do this type of stuff. But secondly, I think, in my opinion, it pretty much almost guarantees a reversal. What's the judge going to do? I, I don't know. But if I were the prosecutors, no way I would take this risk unless I was completely convinced that I couldn't get a conviction any other way. And I'm just going to be desperate and hope for the best. Just saying. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two Milwaukee area police officers treated for non-threatening, uh, non-life-threatening injuries after a powerful pyrotechnic thrown at them. Um, huh. Okay, here's the deal. 12.30 in the morning, 1200 block of, where else? North Water Street. Two male officers, 40 and 45, treated a local hospital. Um, a powerful pyrotechnic. I don't know what exactly that means. But uh, somebody somebody threw this at at the police officers, threw it at them. Um, all right. Now, we're, we're being told, don't worry, we've got a handle on the stuff going on on Water Street. Well, I mean, tell that to the p- two police officers who got hit by the powerful pyrotechnic that was thrown at them. All right. Uh, interesting story that caught my attention in the Chicago Tribune. Um, h- here is the deal. If you look at if you look at vaccinations. In this country, about 57% of all adults, so that would be people ages 18 and up, about 57% of all adults had received at least one dose of the COVID vaccine by late May. All right, so that's that's good. The, you know, the, the goal that uh, President Biden had set was like 70% by the 4th of July. We didn't get there, but but uh, 50% at least, one, 57% at least one dose. And that the general consensus is that um, you, you need 
70 eh, percent, maybe more than that, to get to this, this herd immunity so that the virus doesn't continue to to spread among the people who have not been vaccinated. OK, well, here's the deal. If you look at ages among people who are 65 and older, 80 uh, percent, they estimate, were at least partially vaccinated, 80 percent. On the other hand, if you look at the age group, 18 to 29, um, only about 38 percent of those people had been vaccinated. Now, some of it is explained by virtue of the fact that in, in many states, they started rolling out the vaccinations based on age. So, you know, if you were you know, 70, you, you got a chance to get the vaccination first. But I, I don't think that that's a valid explanation for this anymore. I mean, it's been, you know, a couple months now that anybody anywhere, regardless of age, who wanted to, to get vaccinated could. And yet what they're seeing is that um, people particularly in that age group of 18 to 29, they're they're not getting vaccinated. So the question then kind of becomes why? And the Chicago Tribune has a real interesting interview with a lot of the people that are out there. And what they're, they're saying is that, look, here, here's the deal. They're, they're not anti-vaxxers. You know, they, they, they've, they get their flu shots or they've had their measles and mumps shots and all that stuff. But they're interviewing all these younger people. And they say, look, here, here's the deal. We just don't think there's that much risk. Um, one of the women they quote, she says, look, I think age is a factor in that there's significantly less risk being younger. I understand why it's important for older people like people who are 70 plus to get the vaccine, but I feel I wouldn't be in as much of a risk as the higher risk groups, the older people. And that's sort of the attitude that apparently is out there, that there's a lot of young people who aren't necessarily anti-vaccine, but you know, consider themselves, they quote another one saying, hey, I'm 30. I have no reason to get vaccinated. This is the quotation. I'm healthy. I exercise. I've been fine since this whole thing started. I have no plans on getting the vaccine. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the biggest impediment it's not the, the, and I understand that there's some people who turn up their nose and say, oh, it's, it's the anti-vaxxing types. It's, it's the people who just don't trust the government and aren't going to do that. No, th- that's, at least in my opinion, that's not where the numbers are going to be that stop us from getting herd immunity. The, the issue, I think, is largely going to be younger people who do not think the risk of getting COVID is that great, who do not believe that if they get COVID, the risk of having bad results are that great that, you know, and, and if you look at it statistically, that that's that's true. If you look at where the majority of the deaths come from, not all, but the majority, it comes from, you know, older people or people who have underlying health conditions. They're interviewing all these people in the paper and they're saying, hey, I'm 30 years old. I'm healthy. I'm just not worried about getting COVID, I don't think there's going to be a bad result. So I don't intend to get the vaccine. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, is, is, is there any way that you can convince younger people to get vaccinated? Or is this just a completely valid point? Hey, if you're, you know, you're, if you're 22 years old and you're healthy and you don't have com- compromised immune system, why bother doing it? Because even if you get COVID, 
chances are you're going to be sick for a couple days and maybe you won't even notice that you're sick and then you're going to recover. Are we ever going to be able to get the younger people to get vaccinated? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And how do you get over this? And my answer is I, I don't know. I mean, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who got vaccinated, who had no problems with the vaccination, who believes that there's no reason not to get vaccinated, but I'm not lecturing. But for people 18 to 30, is there anything you can do to convince them to go get vaccinated? My answer is I don't know. I, I think you're kind of at a standstill. And my guess is probably around 40 percent of that age group is going to be the maximum. And if that's all you can get, you're probably never going to get to herd immunity. 855-616-1620. Can you get young people to get vaccinated? And if so, how? Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Chicago Tribune has this interesting piece. We're, we're, we're not at herd immunity. We're not at the goal of 70% vaccinations. And I, I've never thought we're going to get there. But one of the key elements is younger people. I'm talking about people under the age of 30. Like that, let's, let's not even, let's not even talk about teenagers, but 18 to, to 29. Um, nationwide, the vaccination estimate is, Probably in the mid, what was in my, what was my numbers? In the mid 30, 38%, ages 18 to 29. And it, it's probably going to be stuck there. And the Chicago Tribune interviews all these people in their late 20s and 30s, and they're saying, we're not getting the vaccine. You know, we just, we don't see that there's any need to do it. We're healthy. We're not worried. If we get COVID, we think we're going to recover. Is, is this, is this the case? Is that a valid concern? Is there anything you can do to overcome it? Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was talking with somebody who's, he's 30 years old, I'm 33, um, was doing some work over by his house, and he said he got sick from COVID last fall. And he lost his sense of smell completely, not just during when he had the virus, but he no longer has a sense of smell. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just thinking that, that, and I've also heard other situations where people just don't have the same stamina that they used to after they got sick. They just didn't quite recover the same back. And um, I just want to contribute that. I also wanted to add that my uh, my grandmother, who just passed away last year, not from COVID, just she was died from old age. Um, she was 92. But she had polio when she was younger, and she had the same thing, where she lost her sense of smell in her whole life. Mm-hmm. She didn't have her sense of smell, and it just mm-hmm. overall diminished her quality of life. So, Mark, have, have you been so, vaccinated? Yeah. You're, you said you're, you're 33. Did you get vaccinated? 30. Did you get vaccinated? Yes, I got it as, as soon as I could, yep. Um, among your your peers, I mean, the, the folks you hang out with, you know, in, in your age group, what would you say? Would you say more than 50% are, are vaccinated? What what would you estimate the number to be? Um, it kind of depends which uh, group of people I hang out with, but um, yeah. it probably is. 50 to 60%, yeah. Okay. All right, good enough. Thanks for the call. 50 to 60, lower than the the 80%. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, if if you're in this age group, you know, like that under, in the mid-30s or lower, um, or you have kids that are in that range who have made the decision not to get vaccinated, I'd be curious to have the the perspective. Because, again, it's a lot of people that are deciding not to do it. I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's the anti, I don't think it's the anti-vaxxer thing. I don't think it's, it's, 
because there's an element of that. And again, I'm not mocking it. I understand there's people who just don't know about the long, are concerned about the long-term effects or things like that. I don't think that's what dri- what's driving like the 18 to 29 year old decision. I think it's, um, it's more like, hey, we're, um, we, we just, we, we're trying to do a risk reward thing and, and we just don't think we need it because we think the effects of, of COVID aren't that bad. Jeff, the reason these younger folks are healthy now is because the parents had the foresight to have them vaccinated against those nasty childhood diseases like mumps and measles when, um, they were, they were kids. Um, Jeff, uh, young people are only concerned about themselves. Not the community. Jeff, young people are not getting vaccinated because of the unknown long-term effects of the vaccine. My daughter doesn't want to get it because she may want to have children someday and doesn't know what kind of effect the vaccine will have on that. Okay, there there might be a percentage of that, but I guess... I, I don't know. I don't think your your typical twenty four year old is sitting there saying, "Gee, I'm I'm worried about what the long term effects of the vaccine are going to be." I think it's more like, "Ah, why do I want to go down and bother getting the shot? And I, I might not feel good for a couple days. Why do I want to do that? Hey, let's go have a beer." Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Tony in Bayview. Hi, Tony. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, well, if you look at the statistics, I mean, the virus is almost gone. Like, there's hardly any deaths or cases. Why do they keep pushing this vaccine? Well, because there are, I mean, there, there. it's not like, I mean, it's it's not, It you don't have as many cases as you did a year ago, but you, you still have, have cases. And I guess the thinking is what we're trying to do is the more people that get the vaccine, the less cases they're going to be. So nobody's supposed to ever get sick again, ever? Well, I guess, I mean, Tony, I think, no, I don't don't think anybody's saying nobody's ever supposed to get sick again. But look, let's be honest here. Okay, and again, I'm I'm not trying to get into the merits of, you know, the the positions of people who, who aren't vaccinated. The reason that we have come out of this pandemic is because of the vaccinations. I mean, once the vaccinations, the vaccine became readily available, the numbers of hospitalizations, the numbers of new cases all dropped dramatically. Now, I understand people are going to get sick and people, even with the vaccinations, COVID's not going to disappear. There will still be people that get COVID. The question is, can can you sort to start to manage it? So, I mean, I think that the concern is the more people get vaccinated, the less likely we have to worry about anybody getting it. Now, I get the fact that you have some people who just aren't concerned about getting it. And I, I, I understand all that. There's some people who aren't concerned about getting it. There's some people who are worried about the vaccine. To me, I think if you were asking me to explain why it is that that 18 to 29-year-old age group isn't getting it, it's not because of long-term fears. It's not because, gee, someday I might want to get pregnant. It's just because, hey, it, it's just... It's too much trouble. I'm not worried about something happening to me. 855-616-1620. Jeff, offer up cash for a shot. Watch people um, turn up. Jeff, I heard there were a lot of cases in Minnesota and that one hospital was already short of ventilators. I mean, I don't know about that. It, I mean, the number of COVID cases has, has decreased dramatically, but it, it's still there. And these new variants, the Delta variant, 
which you are protected from if you have the vaccines, but it's it's even more contagious. So, I mean, COVID has not gone away. Jeff, I think it's the general lack of respect that uh, other generations have for everyone in authority. When we were told to get a small vax, vax, smallpox vaccine, we got it. Jeff, I don't think you're giving younger people enough credit. My 18-year-old daughter doesn't want it because of the unknown long-term effects. Okay, well, I... I would, I would guess, I don't know, be interesting. If we took 100 people ages 18 to 25 who were not vaccinated and just said, why not? Um, what would be, and, and you put people in a lie detector so they, they, they couldn't, you know, fudge the answers. And you said, okay, why aren't you vaccinated? My guess is the overwhelming majority would say, oh, it's too much trouble or we're not worried. Who, who cares? You know, we're healthy. We haven't gotten sick before. And if we get it, you know, we're not going to be too sick. Jeff, I mean, I just, I'm just guessing as opposed to, the, the, as opposed to if you look at these numbers, 60 percent of people of the young people, young being 18 to 29, not vaccinated, really think 60 percent are concerned about the long term effects. No, it's just too much trouble and they don't think it's worth it. Jeff, herd immunity isn't necessarily for your own benefit, but the benefit of those who cannot get vaccinated. That, I think, is the whole purpose of this. Uh, Jeff, herd immunity was a factor prior to vaccine availability. Jeff. Over the past 90 days, 99.2% of deaths attributed to COVID were people who were not vaccinated. If this is not enough evidence to get vaccinated, then I don't know what it is. Yeah, and th- that's that's unquestionably true. Those were the, just the numbers I saw this weekend. Um, 99.2% of all the deaths were people who were not vaccinated. Now, again, I don't, I didn't see the breakdown of, of ages of that, but yeah, I mean, young or old, your risk of having serious complications are much worse if you have not been vaccinated. And by the way, I also understand that for a very, very small percentage of people who are vaccinated, that they've had an adverse reaction. I, I understand that as well. But again, I'm I'm a numbers guy and if you look at the, you know, 300 plus million people who've been vaccinated and then you look at the number of deaths that they attribute perhaps to the vaccination, it is statistically insignificant, especially in comparison to the deaths due to COVID. So I, can you have a bad reaction? Yeah. But again, the purpose of this isn't to lecture people, get it or not. It is to explore why people ages 18 to 29 think that they don't need it. And if it's a conscious effort, gee, I'm thinking about having kids in the next two years, and I'm really worried about what this is going to do, and I want to wait a little bit, I get it. On the other hand, if it's simply... Ah, I I think I'm going to live forever. I don't care about this. I don't care about other people. There's nothing in it for me. If that's the reason that people aren't taking the you know ten minutes it takes you know over the space of two weeks to get vaccinated, I think in that case it's it's a relatively selfish sort of approach. And my guess is that that's the real reason that's driving a lot of people who end up making that decision. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa Barkley, big doings this afternoon. Uh, your, your partner in crime, John McCure, I just saw him blasting out of here. He's going to be doing his portion of Wisconsin's Afternoon News 
from the Deer District. Yes, he'll be outside the Mecca this afternoon. So we're praying that there is no rain. I know they say a little bit later on this evening, but we'll cross our fingers. Oh, on he's that. tough. He, he can is. he can handle it. He said he said <laughs> he, he's, can ride this he out. said he's under an enclosure and there's like a tent and stuff. McCure is oh, a pro God. and stuff. But I, I do think it's it's very cool. Now you're going to be back here, kind of holding the holding down the fort. But, I will. Yes. But but I, I um, at least he'll be able to give us the flavor. Now I don't think the gates actually open up until six o'clock. I believe right. But yeah. I believe that's when fans can come in. Right, but there's still going to be a lot of stuff going on. It, it's I have not been down there during one of these broadcasts, <laughs> but it's but it, it's you, you see it's the crazy, pictures of it. Yeah. It does look like it's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, where were you? Did you on last Saturday night when the Bucks beat Atlanta? Did were, were you by were you by yourself or with your boyfriend or were you out like in a public sort of setting? So interestingly enough, I've watched most of the Bucks playoff games, almost all of them. And and beforehand, I'm I'm a Bucks fan, but I was in Iowa with my brothers. So I didn't right. get a chance to see the Bucks. So, um, oh, so you missed it. I missed it. Yeah, but I did see it online. I saw all the okay. photographs of all the craziness and stuff. Well, it was so interesting because we were at a a firework show at like at like a private club is what it was, and mm-hmm. it, so and and so there there were about our, our group was you know, twenty to twenty five people. I mean, it was my my um bo- both of my stepdaughters were there and friends and their families and stuff and my brother and my nephew and stuff. But it's interesting because th- there was a firework show that was going on, but before that, up in the up in the bar area, mm-hmm. they had big screen TVs and <laughs> all the guys had kind of gathered and were watching the. The Bucks game, and then it was that point in time where okay, the fireworks were beginning to start, and it was the start of like the fourth quarter, and and the Bucks had a comfortable lead, but it was about fifty fifty. I I left and went down and watched the fireworks, and just was kind of like checking in. Hey Siri, what's the score of the Bucks game? But a, a, a bunch of the guys in particular, you know, stayed up and, and watched the game till it's end. Oh, we saw the fireworks through the glass, but Aww. they decided to go with the fireworks with the Bucks instead of the fireworks. Yeah, that's a key decision there: fireworks or Bucks game. But it is kind of fun. I mean, there's there's no doubt about the communal watching sort of thing. Um, if, if if you're in one of these places where you're there, and of course, you know, just w- when I was there, I saw like the first half and part of the third quarter i mean everybody's just cheering and screaming oh don't shoot it shoot right, it right, shoot right. It. oh don't shoot it or it was just, it was fun to have that communal thing for me i think that's what it is when you go to a sports bar you go to just any bar and you sit there and you're with a group of people and the energy that fills right. the room that's something that we haven't had in a long time so just going out and being a part of that right and that's what really the deer nice. district is mm-hmm. all about as well 100%. so in any event to help you set the stage um keep it tuned not that you would go anywhere but keep it tuned to wtmj all afternoon because for today's edition of Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We're going to have John McCure down at, uh, again, in the Deer District. And, of course, we've got Greg Matzik in Phoenix. Yes, we have people all over. So I'm here, John's in the Mecca, and, you know... We're just and doing Greg's stuff all Phoenix over. Got it. And I'm, Kyle and I'm, will be producing the social. He'll be he'll be doing a lot of work back there. Right. And I'm going home, but I'll be listening after all <laughs> good. that. Oh, so good. good. So we say go Bucks. So that's what's coming up. In addition, here, here's just, just something to put in the back of your mind. Okay, um... You know what happens three weeks from today, Ms. Melissa? Mm, three weeks from today. Three weeks from today, Tuesday, July 27th. I'm, I don't know. All right. That's the day that veteran players are supposed to report for the Green Bay Packers training camp. Mm. In other words, that's the day that um, Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be in training camp or else he's former 
uh, he would be officially a holdout. Well, it'll subject be interesting. To fines. We're, we're learning a little bit more about what he's been doing and his state of mind over the past few months, saying that he, you know, has been clearing his mind sort of for his mental health. So if that's true, I mean, I, I, well, who, I guess that's good. I, I, cause I, well, I mean, you, you would, th- we, yes, we would all want a clear we'll mind. But, but the bottom line is if you're marking this kind of, and, and I always hate to say this because summer goes so darn fast around here and it, it's like one day, all right, now it's Memorial Day and then all of a sudden it's the 4th of July and I, I got a note saying, okay, this is like we're, we're getting the, we're getting ready for like the second half of summer. I'm going, oh my gosh, it seems like summer just got here. But, but inevitably when, when training camp opens up, that to me kind of is the beginning of the end of, of summer. It's like sort of like when state fair when, when State Fair ends, not when it begins, but when State Fair ends in mid-August, it's kind of like, okay, we still have a little bit of summer left, but it's sort of kind of like the unofficial start thinking about going back to school uh, and all. Yeah. So don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but if you're marking the, the calendar and you've been completely caught up in the you know, Aaron Rodgers saga, uh, one of the next big days, Tuesday, July 27th, three weeks from today, because that is when veteran players are required to show up. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back... All right, the business might have the right to do it, but do customers have a legitimate beef? We are going to test how inclusive you are. Stick around. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. All right, businesses have the right to set rules. But the question becomes, if people don't like the rules, now they can certainly leave the business, but if they don't like the rules, is their position unreasonable? There's a fascinating story, and I, I saw this in the Washington Post first, but it, it involves this this large spa in in Los Angeles. Apparently, it's a, a very, very you know popular spa. What happens is they have rules, and 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 they and they post the rules. They say that you use, you can use the locker room that um, comports with your gender identity uh, as opposed to your biological gender. And, and that's the rules. They're up front. So here, here's the story. Um, there's a, a number of women that are in the women's locker room at the time in the spa. And what happens is a biological man who identifies as a woman, the gender identity is female, goes into the women's locker room, and apparently, you know, there, there's the spas and saunas and stuff, and she takes off off her clothes, and she is biologically a male. So, you know, the, what, what am I trying to say? Well, she has a penis. All right, so that's the thing. So what happens is a number of the women biological females, they, they complain about it. And they, they go, and this, this whole story has kind of gone viral. Maybe you, you've seen it. Um, they, they complain to the staff saying, look, um, you know, is it okay for a man to go into the women's section, um, show his penis around the other women, little young little girls, underage, etc.? And the staff says, well, um, no, we, he, the, this, this is a female. That's that's how this person identifies. That's their gender identity. And the person says, this isn't a female. This is somebody that's got male body parts, and we're not going to discriminate against the woman based on her gender identity, at which point in time more customers end up getting outraged. This becomes the subject of protest, and the whole thing ends up going viral. Now, the spa 
I mean, has the right to set whatever the rules it feels appropriate. And under the rules and regulations in Los Angeles, it may very well be that the law would prohibit them from excluding the person who is biologically a male but identifies as a female, prevent them from allowing her to go into the the women's locker room, even though, again, she's got the male body parts. But a number of the the women are upset about this. Now, the tone that's about this story is, okay, how, how intolerant are are these people? I mean, here's what the spa says. Like many other metropolitan areas, Los Angeles contains a transgender population, some of whom enjoy visiting a spa. We strive to meet the needs of those customers. And then they go on to say that, you know, the law prohibits discrimination based on gender expression and that we can't discriminate against uh, gender non-conforming people in business establishments. So in other words, they, they say to the people who are complaining about this, look, it's, it's your problem. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to to this story and I, I think this is one of the real difficult balancing acts with stuff. I understand, on the one hand, you do not want to discriminate against, you know, people based on their gender identity or whatever that might be. At the same time, I mean, I'm trying to imagine a situation where you have, I, I don't know, you've got, you know, mom and the, the teenage daughter or mom and the 12-year-old the or just mom and a couple of her friends, and you're in this locker room, and there is somebody who, while they identify as a female, are biologically not a female. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For the women who objected to this, and again, this is the way some of the story is being spun, that, that it's their problem, that this is unreasonable, and how can you be so intolerant? Is that really an example of intolerance, or is it a, a legitimate concern? Now, the spa, like I say, is obligated to do what it's got to do under the law, and clearly the spa believes it's it's the policy, and the choice the women have is to not go to that spa and you know go somewhere else or, or whatever. But but is the policy, are the people who were offended by this, is that an example of intolerance? Or is it just simply, hey, people aren't comfortable being naked around people of different, in this case, regardless of what the gender identity is, it's a, a woman who identifies as a, as a female, but she's got male body parts. All right. Would, would you be comfortable in that setting? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the spa patron should have read the rules before opting to use this spa and their services. Basically read the fine print, especially in California. I personally don't agree with the rules at the spa. A bathroom is different. Women's restrooms have stalls. I don't feel that a locker room is a place where bioidentity should vary. Makes, uh, makes, um, should vary. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I don't think it's intolerance, but if these women don't like it, they should change spas or go to home facilities. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, that's, 
that's the result of what would happen. Jeff, regardless of the policy, I would not be comfortable to have my underage daughter exposed to a naked male, whichever way they identify. As this is the business of stated practice, I would no longer continue to frequent the spa. And I guess that's what struck me about some of the coverage of this. The the fact that the, the, the women who were objecting to this were being portrayed as, okay, the, the, these intolerant you know, people, and I guess I, I just I think that there is sort of this balancing act. And I understand on the one hand, you want to respect the rights of the, the transgender individual. But at the same time, I don't know. I guess the attitude seems to be, OK, it, it's everybody else's problem. But I can under, understand a situation where you're in the women's locker room. You're there with your you know, your 12 year old daughter, your 10 year old daughter, and somebody comes in and they take their clothes off. And it's biologically a male. Now, the attitude I understand expressed is, well, it's your problem, not theirs. But I don't know. Is it, isn't it everybody's problem for this? Jeff, whenever these instances happen, I think it's a slippery slope. I like to consider myself an open-minded person, but this is something where I view privacy over a gender issue. I believe the best alternative to these instances instances is to provide a third general neutral changing room. If this isn't enough to suffice, um, then I think people should use the bathroom assigned to the birth gender. But again, this story, it's not even bathrooms. This is this is locker rooms and, and spa services where you're going to go into the the sauna for example and you know you you go into the the saunas and you've got like in the guys sauna some guys like wrap a wrap a towel around themselves other guys choose not to do it i presume never having been in a women's sauna but it's the same sort of situation so in this case you have somebody who is biologically a male identifies the female you know sitting you know in the sauna with the towel off i'm giving you the example of this and you tell it that it's it's everybody else's problems. Um, Jeff, why do the rights of one person trump the rights of everybody else? Well, again, I think it's that it's that balancing that goes on. Um, Jeff, I think it's real simple and one no one needs to be offended. If you have male genitalia, stay out of the women's locker room. The same goes for female genitalia in the men's locker room. Um, I think that, you know, that's how this should be. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, it sounds like this place may have to close. I would think that all of their members would cancel their memberships. Well, I think many, many are. Now, the, the problem is, you know, in California, you get into a situation where the, the, the spa, now the spa embraces this concept. They're, they're not fighting it, but the spa's lawyer says, well, we think this is the law, that we can't you know, discriminate in this fashion and that the, you know, gender identity ends up, you know, trumping what whatever the, the biological basis of this is. And I guess under law, we're saying that, you know, if anybody else is bothered by this or offended by it, you know, um, you know, you know, too bad um, it, it, that it's it's your problem. Um Jeff, I think the staff should ask the person in question to be sensitive to other members and keep covered in common areas of the locker room. It's not that hard to do. Well, I, my guess is that if you tried to do something like that, what you'd end up finding is that it would be quite a, a big deal because then – you know, the, the transgender individual would say, oh, my gosh, they, they came up and they told me that I had to keep covered. You know, how dare they tell me that I have to keep covered? So, I, look, I, I understand where the laws are going, and I understand the basis for the laws that you don't want people discriminated against simply because of, of 
whether it's sexual orientation or whatever. But we're, we're getting to this point in this world where what, what used to be norms now, if, if you, if you, again, so it's like, you know, you don't want your 12 year old girl or your 10 year old daughter, you know, sitting in a locker room with somebody who's got biologically got the boy body parts and don't want people exposed to that. Well, it's your problem. It, it's nobody else's. That's, that's how the pendulum has swung. I understand where the law is. I understand the spa's got its policies, but I also understand why some people aren't comfortable with that. And maybe the best result is quit the membership. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, that really stinks. My uh, one of my buddies just texted me and a note saying that their power was out at his house, and I said, and of course, he there's I, so I checked the We Energies map, and there's a apparently there's a, a power outage affecting around 900 customers. That would be separate families, primarily in like Fox Point and Glendale, and it's kind of like, huh. 92 degrees outside, losing the power really stinks. There's no, it, it does, it always makes me appreciate on, on those, those occasions. And by the way, I think We Energies does a really good job of keeping the lights on. I, I, I mean that sincerely, but it is sort of funny on those occasions where the power goes out, how, just how dependent we get on all that stuff, whether it's for the computers or the lights or, or in this case, when it's 91 degrees outside, you know, the air conditioning, although looks like that there's a cool front moving through, looks like like there's going to be some perhaps uh, significant rainfall to the north of us that may kind of carry over. Hopefully it holds off until um, if it if it materializes until after the Bucks game, because there's you know, there's going to be a big, big crowd down at uh down at the Deer District today. And again, if you were just tuning in, our very own John McCure, he's going to be doing his portion of Wisconsin after, Wisconsin's Afternoon News from the Deer District starting uh, right at 3 o'clock. So that's cool. Well, th- this is, of course, I mean, of course, it's a big story. Lot, lots of sports news going on. There's still the Packers, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier, their their training camp opens up in three weeks. And the overarch, at this point in time, you know, normally at this time of year, we'd be talking about, gee, are, are they going to get over the hump and are going to get back to the Super Bowl? Well, nobody's talking about that. It's what's going to happen to Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to be a Packer? Is he going to show up? Is he going to be traded? All those things. So you've got that going on. You've got the Brewers that, you know, are just coming off, you know, an 11 game winning streak. They've got the fourth or fifth best record in, in baseball. And, you know, unless they completely fall on their face, you know, this week, you know, they're going to be comfortably ahead in the central division as they move into the all-star break. Something that I think a lot of us hope for, but didn't necessarily see coming. And then, of course, you've got the story of the Milwaukee Bucks who, um, are four games away from being the NBA champions for the first time, well, in, in 50 years. Now, I remember, I remember the, the Bucks' first NBA championship. I was a kid living here and I can remember all the excitement. I will tell you it's a different time and I think the excitement level is, is really ratcheted up. I, I don't follow NBA basketball as closely as I follow like baseball and football and things like that. And I, I, I have watched the Bucks from afar and I, I just, I've been impressed by the, the way that the team has responded and how well the team has done and how they've been able to find wins when, you know, a lot of times you might be tempted to kind of write them off. But obviously the, the operative thing and I think one of the indicators of how well they're going to do and how far they go you know, centers around, you know, what happens with Giannis, their their star player who, you know, went down 
couple games ago. A lot of people thought he had a catastrophic knee injury. A lot of people were worried, oh my gosh, he's, you know, really blown out his knee and it's going to be a year recovery. Well, thankfully it wasn't that. It's a hyperextension. And so the question becomes, you know, at what point in time does he, does he play and, and how, how much do you push him? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, a healthy Giannis gives the Bucks a much better chance of winning than, than no Giannis at all, right? I think everybody would agree. This is the two-time MVP. Um, he's clearly one of the best players in the NBA, if not the best player. So that, that's if he's a cl- completely healthy. The problem, of course, is that you look at that fall, and I think at first they said he was doubtful. Now they've upgraded him to questionable, but he, he's not completely 100% healthy. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You don't get too many chances to win the NBA championship. I mean, the Bucks. last time the Bucks were in the NBA championship was, what, 1974. They won it in 71. They lost it in 74. So that's a long time. And and even though this is a team that's built, you know, to, uh, again, hopefully contend every year, it's tough to get to the finals. So when you have that opportunity to win, you don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to blow it. At the same time, you know, when you have a star player that you have all sorts of stuff invested in, and that player is not 100%, the question becomes, what do you do? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you play Giannis if he's not 100%? And what is the indicator? What's the decision maker? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Clearly, he wants to get back on the court. You get the idea that, that he'd play, you know, if he was just, he'd play on, on one leg. All right, if you're the Bucks, do you let him do that? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or do you just say, look, you know, we're, we're in it for the long haul. If you're not 100%, we're not putting you out on the court. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Bucks want to win. Bucks chances of winning are greater if you've got a healthy Giannis that's playing. All right. Do you roll him out there if he's not 100%? Angela in St. Francis. Angela, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Angela. for having me. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I feel that he should not be playing. I think that until he's 100%, um, anybody that knows the Bucks knows the team themselves, all the players, they know that Giannis has them where they want him. He's a great player. He's an aspiration for the team. And if you look at Trey Young and what happened with him, you know, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think that he came back at 100%. I think that he did actually more damage for the team than he did help when he right. came back. And I'm just worried that Giannis would do the same thing. And I think that let him stay on the sidelines and be that team right. player that he is and everybody knows he is. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Thanks for calling, Angel. I guess I, I look at this, and if I were to answer this question, it would be... Well, it's one thing to play with nagging injuries. Uh, To me, the the fundamental question is, first of all, can you perform at at a high enough level to be on the court? And I agree with what you were saying with with Trey Young. He he came back. He wanted to play. 
but you know his, his foot was bruised. It just it. I mean, I, a couple of months ago, look, I'm not a pro basketball player, but a couple of months ago, I kind of took a bad step coming down a stair, sprained my foot, and it was. I mean, they told me the recovery time was three to four weeks, and it was. And, and I mean, the foot was tender. I can't imagine, you know, having a, a bone bruise or a bad sprain or whatever it is and, and trying to where you, you depend on you depend on your foot for, like, taking off and speeding and things like that, you know, using your speed. It, it clearly, I mean, he, he wasn't ready to come back. You know, the bigger issue, and sometimes people forget about this, um, remember Kevin Durant and, you know, Kevin Durant who just – you know, an amazing player who just, you know, darn near put the Brooklyn Nets on his back and beat the Bucks. Uh, people forget a few few years back, Durant ha- had injured his right calf. Um, he was playing with the Golden State Warriors. And what, what happened is they, they brought him back and they brought him back probably too soon, but he wanted to play. And then what ended up happening is, you know, he blew out his Achilles tendon and he, he missed but the better part of a season, I, I think, and the, the general consensus was he, he wasn't ready to come back, and you rushed him back, and he ended up in a situation where he hurt himself more. So if I'm, I mean, if I'm the Bucks, if I'm the player, uh, I mean, the first question that I ask is, okay, first of all, does it look like the, the player can perform? But secondly, what's the risk-reward here? You know, if is there, explain Let's be honest about this. If you have somebody that goes out on the court and has a risk of re-injuring themselves or or worse, you know, injuring themselves more and taking what is, you know, maybe something that should have you out for a month and turning that into something that you're out for a year and have to have surgery. That That's the point where I think you have to start thinking about, you know, protecting the player perhaps from himself because the player wants to play or alternatively, you know, protecting, you know, your investment in, in that player, because let's face it. I mean, Giannis is the franchise and he's going to be playing for the bucks for years and years to come. And, and yes, even though I led into this saying you only get so many chances to win the championship at the same time, you don't want to put a, a player's career in jeopardy or, you know, risk. Hey, you know, you, you could, you could do serious damage to your knee if that's the case. Now, look, I'm not a doctor. I don't, no, but I think that's the first thing that you have to have. That's the conversation that you have to have with the you know doctors, Jeff. I think the Bucks have a multitude of talent and resolve to beat the Suns and take the championship with or without Giannis. So I think he should not play if doing so at all risks his long-term skills and his health. Jeff, playing a less than one hundred percent Giannis makes no sense at all. Um, yeah, I agree. Jeff, it's a seven-game series. No need to panic. Rest him in game one. See what happens while he gets healed up. If they need him to pull a Willis Reed later, then so be it. Willis Reed, of course, was the center for the Knicks, who pretty much did play in one of the Knicks championship seasons on, on one leg. Playing him now could hurt him even worse, a la Kevin Durant two years ago, right? That's the reference that I was making. Jeff, look at the Hawks playing Trey Young when he was at best 60%. He hindered him more than helping them. We've played with that well without him the last two games. I hope they're smart about playing him. Jeff, if Giannis can explode off that knee and jump at least 85% of what he did before, I think he should play. Jeff, if he's not 100%, he needs to sit tonight. He might feel he can play, but he will be needed in a future game. Yeah, see, this is one of the things where I think the coaches and at some point in time, 
you've got to take the decision out of the hands of the player. You get the player's input, but you got to be talking to the doctors, and you have to be smart about this. And from the perspective, I think of the fans, including this fan, you know, people people will understand if you're not if, if there's a significant risk of re-injuring yourself or injuring yourself worse than you already are, people understand. Jeff, I don't think there's any way he could be the same player right now. He could hurt the team more than help. Jeff, it's an easy decision. At his current level, let's say 75%, does he give you a better opportunity to win compared with his replacement? If so, then yes. Um, Will you do it when you have the chance? Well, to me, I think the other factor, though, is not just is Giannis at 75% better than other alternatives, but it's is Giannis at 75% at risk, a reasonable risk. And look, and I understand every time you go out on a basketball court, any time you go out on a football field, any time you go out you know, on a, on a baseball field, that, that there's always a risk that there's going to be an injury. I mean, I understand that that's something that comes with the territory. But the question to me is, given the nature of the injury and where you are in the healing process, yeah, it might be that you're 75% recovered, but again, is there a potential that you could injure yourself worse? And if that's the case, I, I think you have to, if, if there's, you can't take unreasonable risks. Jeff, I, um, I say feel it out. We have Giannis for another four years and don't want to hurt him long term. For, furthermore, the Bucks have proven that they are a competitive team without Giannis. Let's wait until the Bucks come back to Milwaukee. If the Bucks are 0-2, throw Giannis back into the arena. If they're 2-0 or 1-1, then it'll be a co- Coach Bud decision. I think I have enough to win half of the series without Giannis. Well, that would be a great thing. Jeff, my son and I attended Game 6 in Brooklyn. I will tell you, not having Giannis has motivated the likes of Middleton, Lopez, and Holiday to become shining stars. They have a rhythm that's working. Let them play and see how it works out with Phoenix. It worked against the um, Hawks. Jeff, do not play him unless he is fully healed. You could throw away the future. Jeff, sit in for game one, then go in for game two. I think the Bucks are going to win in, game, in six games. Jeff, I think the doctors should continue to determine the health of all players. Yeah, that's that's what I agree with. Jeff, you're absolutely right. Don't risk uh, him injuring himself worse. See, that that's it. Fans want him to play. But let's face it, if, if you're if there's a chance that he could hurt himself more, I think all of us who are Giannis fans and Bucks fans say, look, you, you've done a lot for this team. You've gotten the team into the position where we are. You know, don't run the risk of making things worse. We don't want to see a Kevin Durant situation. You know, let other people start to carry the load. And again, it's a seven-game series. If nothing else, you can you, you you don't have to rush him back into it. And I would hope all Bucks fans, true Bucks fans, would agree with that sentiment. Okay, now speaking of true Bucks fans, there's going to be a lot of people down in the Deer District tonight, even though the Bucks are playing their game in Phoenix. Well, to help set the stage and get everybody excited about the Bucks on WTMJ later tonight. Our very own John McCure is down in the Deer District. When we come back, we're going to hear what is on his mind, what he's got lined up for Wisconsin's afternoon news, setting the stage and all those things. It's radio you do not want to miss. And we'll be back to talk to John in just a moment.